Hello, I'm Sean Casey. The story is called Drowning, from the book collection Machine of Death. For more information, please visit machineofdeath.net. Drowning, by C.E. Guimont. I saw the first ads in March. A week or two later, it was all over the news. And then for the next few months, you could not get away from it. Still, none of us expected it to have the impact it did. It was a killer. By November, I had only eight and nine dreams when I was used to having three or four a week. This is how I make my living. I have a dream, and then I wait. Eventually, they come to the office, or sometimes I run into them somewhere else. We talk about it, and they give me money. At least that's how it had been working. Right then, I was down to my last week's worth of savings. I'd sold my car in August and my stereo and most of my office equipment in September. And every day now, I was looking around thinking about what to cannibalize next. I was getting more and more pessimistic. And then I had a dream that I thought was a paying one. And I woke up that morning feeling pretty good. Not 100%, but maybe 65 and the dream I was painting a room with a small bunch of lilies. Specifically, I was back working for Denny Mankino. I'd worked for Denny for two miserable years before I started this new line of work. Denny was a nice enough guy most of the time, but maybe two days a week, he was a nightmare. He was always apologized afterwards, and always paid on time, but I was still thinking about going to work for someone else. I had my first dream around then. The dream was about our client. She was a nice person I did not know a thing about other than she always said hi and once she brought me a coffee. In the dream she was swimming in a pool filled with milk, trying to empty it by drinking as she swam. At the end of each lap, the pool would be maybe half full. The problem was that the whole time she was swimming it was raining milk. Not hard, but enough to keep filling the pool. Now the strange part, as opposed to the weird part, was that in a barn maybe 30 yards away, a farmer was spinning a millstone. It was a huge, regular millstone-type millstone, but he spun it like it weighed nothing, like it was a lazy Susan on your kitchen counter. And this is what was making it rain. Like I said, strange. But it was just a dream, and when I woke up, I forgot all about it. That afternoon, while Denny was out doing whatever he did, the client came home, walked up to me, and started pouring out a dream she had had in which I was holding an invoice, and she had to pay it. She did not even take off her coat, just walked right up to me and started talking. I had no idea what was happening and thought maybe she was not a nice person, but a maniac. I was about to find out how wrong I had been. But then I noticed that she was drinking from a big carton of milk, and my dream came back to me like a bolt of shimmery cloth unfurling across the floor. We went into the kitchen, sat down, and I told her all about it. When I got to the part about the guy, the farmer, she started paying close attention. He had a medium-sized freckle above his right eye, half in the eyebrow. She slowly nodded her head as though she knew what I would say next, and then got up and went over to the sink. I waited. When she finally turned around, she said, can I give you some money? She looked like a huge weight had been lifted off her. I was glad she was feeling better, but the notion of taking money kind of creeped me out. I beg your pardon. You've just helped me. A lot. I gave her a moment to tell me how, but she did not. Instead, she found her checkbook and wrote out a check. 
She handed it to me. It was for $5,000 payable to cash. As you can imagine, I was dumbfounded. And I guess since I was not saying anything, she felt the need to. The guy in your dream is my brother. At least it makes perfect sense if he is. He died nine years ago tomorrow. Oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. She wasn't finished. And now, finally, I think I understand. I'm sorry, but I'm kind of freaked out by all of this, and I'd rather not talk about it. We don't have to talk about this anymore, do we? I didn't want to jinx either of us, and now that I had a great big check from nowhere, I didn't want to jinx it either. But I had no idea what we were supposed to do. I don't know. Let's see. If, if you have to tell me, I, I guess you can come find me. If you're sure you want to give me this, it seems like a lot. She sat down and looked very calm, smiled a really nice smile. Yes. I waited, but she wasn't saying anything else. Okay, then. She went back to the sink and poured out the milk, and I went back to work. She never got back in touch with me, so I never found out what it was all about, but her check was good, so there was that. Within about six months, the clients were coming pretty steadily. I quit working for Denny and got the office. And for maybe four, five years, I made a nice living. It's kind of like I was just walking around, delivering things, but with no real time pressure. And at almost every stop, people gave me money. Though it was kind of aimless, there was a weird logic to it all. Then the machine came along. I was not convinced that my new dream about Denny was a paying one. Who was supposed to be my client? Myself? That was creepy. The dream just did not make sense the way the others had. So I sat in my office, waiting to see what was going to happen next. And then Mr. Watson came in, which I was absolutely not expecting at all. Mr. Watson was the shop steward of my local, Local 111 of the SSCWI. For a long time, I kind of thought the union was a scam, a way of conniving me out of 5% of my earnings until they helped me out of a legal scrape that otherwise would have sunk me. That, and they offered a pretty good medical package that included dental and, of course, a pension. For a moment, just long enough to see that he was not my client, I looked at him without saying anything. He sat down on the corner of my desk and looked back at me. I had no idea what he was up to, so I kept my yap shut. He must have looked pretty silly, both of us staring at each other, blank-faced, as though we were having some kind of conversation, but without actually speaking. He did not look good. He was in his late fifties and cultivated a Columbo look anyway. Rumpled trench coat, cigarette, bad haircut, and if he got close enough, a deep, almost subliminal smell of smoke. But still, he was close enough that I smelled the smoke. That was his day job. He was an investigator for the fire department. The rumor was that he had a perfect record. I did not think this had anything to do with his side job, though. He was just a tenacious and thorough guy. He once explained that he was really only a witness anyway. If you pay close enough attention, he'd said, 99% of the time it's obvious how it all burned down. Okay, he finally said, then got off the corner of my desk, walked over to the window, looked down at the street, then came back, sat in my client's chair, you know, the one people used to sit in and then give me money from. You do any other work in here? A side job of some kind, he said, taking in my steadily emptying office. I was a house painter before this. That's right, that's not such bad work. 
I didn't mind it, but my boss had some real problems. He looked around some more, nodding his head. You don't even have a coffee machine? Sold it. You know, I can call down to the diner. They'll send one right up. The Brazilian place? No, the other one. Oh, yeah, sure. I made the call. When I hung up, he didn't say anything. He seemed distracted, maybe even morose, which was not like him at all. He's generally a pretty lighthearted guy. For laughs, I started my spiel. I thought he might get a kick out of it. I sat on the edge of my chair, leaned comfortably forward onto the desk, looked him in the eye, and said in my most neutral voice, So, I had this dream. He gave me a very stern look. This is no laughing matter, he said. He was really in a sour mood. But I did have a dream. Seriously now? Well, kind of. I mean, I have one I'm working on, but I don't know who the uh, client is yet. Oh. He looked away annoyed. That's what we thought. Look, it's also why I'm here. We're having some problems down at the hall. As you might have heard, we got no orders coming in. You're maybe like one of ten people who've had anything in the last six months or so. Ever since that fucking machine came along. So I just came to tell you, and luckily you don't have any medical stuff going on, but we're going to have to cut back on medical coverage substantially. And no more dental. I had a dentist appointment next week. I was finally going to take advantage of the dental plan. This really was no joke. I first met Mr. Watson maybe a month after I got my office. He walked into my waiting room one morning and said, What kind of waiting room is this if you got no magazines? I got up to see who it was and didn't recognize him. I beg your pardon? If this is your waiting room, where are the magazines? I, I guess not many people actually wait here. Can I help you? He gave me a slightly surprised look. Oh, I'm Jerry Watson. I'm the shop steward of Local 111 of the SSCWI. I gave him a blank look. The Sub and Superconsciousness Workers International. We call it the SSCWI, though. Keep them freaking people out. Stuck out his hand, and I took it. He had a firm, comfortable handshake and an open, honest face. Immediately, for no good reason at all, I liked him. I came by to take your application. My application? To join the union, if you want. You know, there's no pressure, honestly, but we do offer a pretty good health and benefits package, and we watch your back if things get out of control. Out of control? Oh, like that guy last month who didn't want to admit he was cheating on his wife? If that had gotten out of hand... We could step in for you, but really, it's, you know, your choice. I have the form for the application here, and if you're accepted, we'll mail you the medical and all the rest of the crap, so you can look at it at your leisure. I was pretty surprised, as you might expect. Of all the big changes in my life I've been going through, I did not foresee this. I had not even belonged to the Painter and Plasterers Union. There was something about Mr. Watson I trusted, though. He reminded me of an uncle who would bail you out and keep it quiet. So when I got over my surprise, I asked him the one thing that had been really nagging at me, figuring if anyone knew, he would. Namely, what the hell was going on? Oh, right. Well, it's like a swimming pool. A big swimming pool. Everyone swims in every day. Some for longer than others, but no one for too long because the water's too cold. The only ones who stay in for a long time are some coma victims, and a lot of them are kind of like, only half in, half out. Sometimes there's fewer people in the pool, 
Sometimes there's lots more. And when there's lots and lots more, we go out and get new hires. Like me? I guess, I don't know. You ever had one of those dreams before? I don't know. But there you go. There's a lot more we don't know than we do. The other workers in the local were, for the most part, just like me. Regular, boring people. Accountants. Lawyers. Teachers. Maintenance workers. Actors. Most all of them kept their day jobs, and no one made a big deal about this sideline. I suspect most would have even denied it if asked. It was all pretty far-fetched. The union hall was actually just the back room of a diner where we met periodically. Or if you had something come up, Mr. Watson or one of the officers would meet you there. The problem is this new machine has been giving a lot of people the idea that they don't need to swim in the pool anymore. And that, as you might have guessed, has seriously screwed with the natural order of things. Huh. Is there anything we can do about it? We're working on that. We were both quiet for a moment. The coffee came, and after the guy left, I thought I might as well ask him. You do it yet? He looked at me with a deeply annoyed look. I half expected him to tell me to blow it out my ass. I was not just giving him a hard time, though. I was really curious about whether he had checked it out. These machines were scabbing our work, and I want to know if he was on top of it. You mind if I smoke? He finally asked. I got the ashtray from the windowsill and put it on the desk close to him. He lit up, offered me one, put up my hand. He leaned forward in his seat, took a sip of coffee, and made a surprised face. <laughs> wow, that's good coffee. Isn't it, though? You'd never guess. He put the cup back on the edge of the desk. I did do it. Not just out of a sense of professional responsibility. So you were curious. About what? How I'm gonna die? Who gives a shit about how they die? I'll die when I die, and after I die, I'll be dead. So what do I get from knowing how I die? No, I had to know how it felt. He squinted and looked past me out my window. Made a small grimace like he had sciatica, then back. And it was weird. It wasn't what I expected. I was hoping it would be something big, you know? But it wasn't. I mean, all right, you suddenly know how you're gonna die, and, and that's something. Something I had to sleep on for a couple of nights to really get a handle on. But on a deeper level, on the level where we earn our living, well, uh, let's just say I can see how it's polluting the waters. For about half hour after I found out, I felt like I was catching a wave, like, like you know, when a, when a car goes over a hump and you get that whoa type feeling. It was like that. And then on the other side of that, I felt very calm. And at that moment, I knew it was bullshit. Bullshit? But it works. It tells you how you're going to die. Well, yeah, but that's not what it's selling. And they better not because it's fucking expensive. So they sell it as the be-all and the end-all, which is the bullshit part, because they're selling peace of mind. And we all know peace of mind is a racket. He finished his cigarette and stubbed it out in the ashtray. What'd you think of it? I tried to give at least a half a smile. I wanted to tell him what I thought he wanted to hear, but I could not. 
ever since third grade when Sister Anne Marie found out I was lying about eating the chocolate eggs in the Easter display and wailed for a solid half hour. I just did not have it in me. Call it coercive, but I love Sister Anne Marie. And every time I'm faced with the opportunity to lie, I see her sweetness and no lying will once again break her heart. And I cannot do it. Surprisingly, this has brought me far less trouble than you might think. I haven't done it. He seemed taken aback. I didn't think he'd be so surprised. I almost wished I could unsay it. You what? This is your vocation. I know, and you're right. But it just smells of really bad luck, and I can't bring myself to do it. Bad luck? He suddenly looked like he'd never thought of it that way. I wasn't sure if it was worth the effort. Bad luck, he said again, and then suddenly started to lighten up. His phone rang, and he dug it out of a pocket, bringing his pack of cigarettes up with it. He lit one up as he answered. He made a couple of grunting noises and stood up and put his phone away. I gotta go. Work. The office suddenly felt very small and hot. I had to leave, too. I had to. I stood up with him and grabbed my jacket. Hey, let me walk down with you. He seemed to have let go of any misgivings he had about my choice. In fact, he seemed happy now. In the stairwell, he turned back to look up at me. I'm gonna die by drowning. He gave a little, would you get a load of that eyebrow bump as he said it. Really? Yeah, so I just bought a boat. Well, what if you pass out in the tub? Exactly! Those fucking assholes. I wish I could get the Teamsters on their asses. We got out to the street. It was cold. It was supposed to be warm today. At least that's what the weatherman had said this morning. Mr. Watson stopped at his fire department car, which was parked at a hydrant. He had a ticket under the windshield wiper. Sorry about the bad news, kid. And maybe things will turn around and in six months we'll all be back at work. He stuck out his hand and I shook it. It was strong, but not overbearing. Like he could pick me up and put me on his shoulders if he felt like it. Like he was going to do that at any instant. I instantly felt a huge surge of confidence. Yeah, maybe so. I think it will. Sit tight. Hey, I hear that diner around the corner, the one run by the Brazilian couple, has a great lunch deal. That was a great idea. I didn't want to go back inside and it was close enough to lunchtime. I was hungry, wasn't I? I was. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll go by there. Good idea. You do that. Take care of yourself, kid, he said, and for a moment he almost sounded sad. He got into his city car, plucking the ticket off the windshield, disappeared into the traffic. I'd been to the Brazilian place a couple of times, and as soon as I passed through the front door, I remembered their meat dishes were pretty good, but not much else was. I thought about turning around, but what the hell, I was already there. I took a seat at the counter, and my neighbor looked up at me and then jumped. Holy crap! Nick, I was just thinking about you. It was Denny. I could not believe it. And then I did. For a solid two seconds, maybe even three. Which is a long time for this kind of mistake. I was confident he was my client. Mr. Watson was right. It was all going to turn around. I relaxed, sat back, and got ready for the moment when I would tell him about my dream. Denny did not notice. He was still all enthused to see me. You're a great worker, you know that? I, I don't think I ever told you, and I never realized it until later. 
but you were one of the best workers I ever had. I owe you an apology for, for all the shit you must have put up with. Despite myself, I laughed. He seemed really, genuinely happy to see me, which was nothing like the scowling, surly bastard he'd been. He looked better, too. His skin was clearer, and he looked me in the eye with nothing but pleasure at seeing me. That's nice of you, Denny. How are things? Oh, pretty good. Pretty, pretty great, actually. I met this girl, Lucky, and I got sober. I don't think you knew that. I'm an alcoholic. He looked at me candidly, with a touch of sad self-deprecation. I did not know this about him, and I was surprised. I'm sober now, two years, and, and almost seven months. Wow, Denny, that's great. Really, I'm really happy for you. Denny looked at his watch. The plate in front of him was empty. I suddenly realized he wasn't in painter's whites. You're not painting anymore? Oh, I still have the business, but no, I got people to do the work. Hey, I'm sure you're not interested, but if you want work, I got a spot for you. It's your own truck. If it works out, maybe a crew. Lucky's setting up a health package and stuff, and maybe I could offer that soon. Denny was like a different person. It was all kind of hard to believe. I suddenly thought that must have been some kind of woman he met. He was holding his card out to me. It was crisp and expensive looking. He used to peel them off a paint-soaked stack that lived in the bottom of a bag. He would hand you this dirty, half-ripped piece of crap with a faded rainbow logo, and you just knew he was a loser. His card was the exact opposite. I looked at the card without reaching for it. Denny got a softer look, as though he suddenly realized maybe he was being too hard for the circumstances, like he often used to be. I noticed this and smiled. He wasn't sure what to do with that and proffered the card again. I'm not the kind that believes we are faced with the inevitable every day, but at times the future is genuinely unavoidable, and you have to be a fool to try to get out of its way. The pool expands. The pool contracts. I took the card. This audio file is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. That means feel free to share it, send it around, or adapt it however you like. But please don't sell it. I'm Sean Casey. You can find me at westsidecomedy.com or at the Westside Comedy Theater in Santa Monica, California. Thanks for listening.